Hey, everybody, this is Harvey Sluggo Wasserman back for the 155th Green Grassroots Emergency Election Protection Coalition Zoom call. We are uh, going to do a deep dive today on nuclear power um, and uh, especially the Diablo Canyon reactors in California. Um, uh, Unit one, we have just heard this past week, will not repeat. Unit one will not be inspected by Pacific Gas and Electric. Uh, for embrittlement, which is absolutely insane. And we will go deeper into that. We're going to be joined by Linda Seeley from the San Luis Obispo Mothers for Peace. We're also going to go into um, a, a deeper dive as well on the new reactors. There's been major news this past week that the principal maker of uh, the so-called small modular reactors, which is supposed to save the world for the nuclear industry, <laughs> the company, uh, New Scale, has essentially fabricated uh, customers that they were using uh, as a pretense to sell their their product and raise money. And uh, within a, a very short period of time, their their stock dropped by two thirds. Uh, where then we we have a great um, um, green uh, energy experts with us, uh, uh, Robert Freeling and uh, in California, Ron Leonard in New York. Um, um, who will go, are going to go deeper into where we stand with renewables, uh, which continue. If there's been a miracle in our lifetimes, no matter how long your lifetime might be, um, uh, at this point, uh, it has been the astonishing uh, progress of renewable energy. And we're going to talk about that. So this whole first hour, if you're not an energy geek, um, uh, if you're bored by this, uh, come back in another hour. We're going to deal with uh, political issues. The new Speaker of the House, uh, who appears to actually be a human being, his name is Mike Johnson. Stephen Colbert posited that they, they had just made up that name and then went and found somebody uh, named Mike Johnson to be Speaker of the House. But that's who we, we're going to have. We also have some major gerrymandering issues in um, Georgia, North Carolina, and Alabama and elsewhere. But the principal business today uh, is going to be uh, dealing with renewable energy, and but more more specifically and immediately, the refusal of the uh, PG&E to test the Diablo Canyon reactor for embrittlement, which is basically saying that uh, we I'm don't. I'm listening to a voice. I'm moving now, please. So um, no need to, uh, I mean, somebody wanted to let you know. Hello, there we go. So I want to say we're joined by some pretty fantastic people. It's always had a trip in Minnesota, a lifetime long activist, uh, Tatanka Bricka in uh, uh, Central California, John Steiner in Colorado, Carl Grossman on Long Island, Myler in, in Santa Monica here. Uh, we are engineered, as usual, by Steve Caruso and Mike Hirsch, and we're joined by Wendy Lederman in Florida. Before we take the deep dive, into um, uh, the energy issues that are immediate and about which we can actually take tangible action. Uh, I am going to call on I had on uh, Wendy Lederman in Florida to give us a brief uh, moment on the horrendous wars that are going on in the world right now. Wendy, can you do that, please? Sure. Thank you. Um, not with much joy, but um, thank you. Yeah, I know. Um, we did a segment last week and um. We decided that this week we would just give a moment. There's there's um a lot of reporting going on, and it's kind of a door that once we open it, it's it's hard to shut back. Um, but we do want to acknowledge what's happening right now. 
Um, I was I was asked to keep it nonpartisan, and it's a little, little difficult because on one side of the conflict, we've had eight thousand people, about five hundred people a day. Half of them are children, and these are with American weapons paid for with your tax dollars. So I would just suggest that everyday people call their Congress people, their representatives, the White House, and um, explain that we need peace. We don't need to travel further into World War III. We don't need the bloodshed that's happening and just the way that it's happening without having food, gas, water, fuel, communications all cut to civilians. Um, and we, we're just, we're all heartbroken. We're all sick to our stomachs. Um, it's devastating and just actually un unbelievable and unfathomable to um, to grasp, but yet many of us can't get it out of our minds. And so we do want to acknowledge that. And um, just so everyone, so thank you. Yeah. Thank Cease you. Thank you. Now. We're praying for peace, peace in the Middle East, peace in Ukraine, peace everywhere, and peace with our planet. Thank you so much for that, Wendy. Uh, we are going to move now into a place that really needs peace, which is um, uh, the nuclear power world. As we've ascertained, the nuclear reactors on this planet are all part of the nuclear weapons industry. That's why they are so th thoroughly um, uh, supported beyond the marketplace. I want to uh, uh, welcome uh, Kathy Wolf from Maine. We're going to talk a bit about Maine. Um, uh, Kat Kramer is with us, the great uh, filmmaker, actor, and uh, uh a convener of film festivals, uh, uh, Sandy Bozinius in for Columbus, uh, and uh, we're also joined by uh, Maya Van Rossen of the Green uh, Amendment Alliance. But we want to go now to uh, uh, Linda Seeley. Linda is uh, with the Mothers for Peace. She is at the cutting edge of the uh, uh, attempt to uh, uh, make California post-nuclear. Uh, Anna Georgie is just joining us from Western Mass. Uh, California is the fifth largest economy in the world. It has two remaining nuclear reactors, and um, uh, Germany, the fourth largest economy in the world, has none. So uh, we hope that the, uh, we're hoping that California will follow in, follow in those footsteps. We, the reason we're uh, convening so uh, 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 focused today is because Diablo Canyon Unit 1 is shut and it is embrittled. And uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, embrittlement uh, um, defines the state of the reactor pressure vessel, which essentially turns uh, to the composition of glass in many ways after decades of uh, intense heat, radiation, and pressure. And in an accident or an emergency situation, uh, the breaking system of a nuclear reactor is essentially to pour in water, very, very sophisticated, and to, to cool down a runaway reaction. The problem with embrittlement is, among other things, that if you have an embrittled uh, a reactor pressure vessel, and that pressure vessel is flooded with cold water while it's hot, it will shatter. And if it shatters, like glass, uh, you will have massive explosions involving steam, hydrogen, and even nuclear fission. And so it behooves um, the, uh, a country with 94 atomic reactors that have an average age of 40 uh, to check and see if the pressure vessels are embrittled. Because essentially, if you have a pressure vessel that's embrittled, when you hit the brakes on this reactor, it will explode. And uh, many of you who are driving cars 
if you had if you hit the brakes and exploded, I don't think that would be wise, especially if you were throwing a radioactive cloud into the winds directly in the Los Angeles County and Santa Barbara in between, not to mention the Central Valley, the Bay Area. And I will say that Diablo, the two reactors at Diablo Canyon are perfectly sighted. If you wanted to site two reactors that would spread a radioactive cloud across the entire continental United States, Diablo Canyon is where you would do it. So Linda Seeley has been on the case for 50 years, and um, even though she uh, started when she was 15, and um, uh, or thereabouts. And the bottom line here is that her group, Mothers for Peace, which is one of the great groups, mothersforpeace.org, has filed numerous lawsuits, um, illegal interventions, and utility commission interventions. And what we'd like from you, Linda, if you could possibly give us a, an overview of all the um, uh, administrative, legal, et cetera, actions that the Mothers for Peace is taking to keep Diablo Canyon Unit 1 from reopening before it's tested, before they test the brakes. They did test the brakes in 2003 to 5 and found them deficient. That was 20 years ago. They were required by law to test again 10 years ago. They didn't do it. And now this past week, PG&E has announced they're not going to do it this year either. So, Linda, can you give us the rundown of what the Mothers for Peace is doing and how we can help? <clears throat> Thanks, Harvey. Thanks for inviting me on today. And um, yeah, I'm Wendy. Thank you for starting it off that way, too, because all of our lives, I think, are so impacted by what's happening um, in the Middle East. And by the way, um, Ukraine has fallen off the uh, map. You know, what, we don't even know what's happening there, but that's a whole other thing. Yes, and I will mention, since we are in a nuclear world, that Ukraine has six atomic reactors, Zaporizhia, which are under Russian control and in a war zone. And right. uh, you know, uh, 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 so we, we won't belabor that. But go ahead, Linda. Now, please tell us what the mothers are doing and, and how we can support it. OK, what though? I'm going to start off with how you can support anybody who lives in California. Please call your state assembly member and your state senator and say that uh, we need to get unit one inspected now while it's offline. They have already gotten permission, PG&E has already gotten permission not to inspect Unit 1 while it's on, in this uh, shutdown for refueling right now. They wrote to, or, you know, wrote to the NRC, asked if they could wait till 2025 to do this, and the NRC said, sure, you can wait till 2025. Plus... It takes 10, 18 months to get the results back from the test. So we're talking about 2027 till we have any actual results. The thing I want everybody to be aware of today is something that is irking me so badly. In uh, the Mothers for Peace brief, and Harvey, I sent you an email with a bunch of links for our different um, uh, filings, et cetera. I didn't know how to put it onto here. Uh, if you can send to S. Caruso or I'll look it up. Uh, Steve is the one who puts them in the chat. Okay. If you could just forward that to Steve, that would please. Be okay. Thank you. Um, so 
back okay the this unit one reactor vessel back in 2003 they pulled a coupon we've already talked about this several times on this call they pulled a sample out of this coup out of this reactor vessel they found that by 2021 to 2023 this reactor vessel was going to reach its limit for embrittlement okay so then they were supposed to test it again 10 years later they made a, a um an agreement with the NRC that they couldn't pull it out back in 2012 they, they they couldn't do it they couldn't get a sample out of there um and so they said well the NRC said that's okay you can take data from other nuclear plants and substitute <laughs> that data for the data at Diablo Canyon which they did and lo and behold, when uh, I have a new graph that a, a colleague is working on, it's not ready for distribution yet. But when I saw it this morning, my head exploded. It's a graph that shows how in 2003, they took the sample out that showed it's going to be brittle by 20, 21 to 23. In 2012, they took a another sample out and then suddenly no they did not take another they started using the data from a different reactor suddenly that curve on the embrittlement went way down oh it's not really embrittled and then they did another sample from an or no they did a mathematical computation that showed them that the embrittlement went down even more so that according to the latest data, that plant could run for like a million years and never get embrittled because the embrittlement keeps on getting less and less the longer it goes. Um, and and let's, let's, let's make clear on this. The idea that you can test for embrittlement on a reactor by looking at a similar reactor is like if you drive, you're driving in California and you have to get your brakes inspected and, and you're driving a Volkswagen bus and you say, well, I don't want to, I can't expect this one, but that bus over there has good brakes. So mine are okay. That's exactly. the equivalent of what they're doing. Exactly. With a nuclear power plant. And with a nuclear power plant that sits on 13 earthquake faults. What could possibly go wrong? Okay. So you have filed Linda in federal court and yes. in front of the NRC and in front of the PUC. Can you tell us specifically about each uh, uh, action? The fed our federal court uh, case, which is going to be heard the first week of January, is about the fact that the NRC granted um, the PG&E the ability to file for a, a license renewal only 10 months before the old license ran runs out the usual time to file is five years in advance of a of the expiration of a license. They have allowed one or two plants to file three years before the license ran out. This one is 10 months before the license runs out. So we've got that in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Okay? So that's in the, fe the federal court. You are, you Mothers for Peace has filed an actual lawsuit demanding that the NRC follow its own rules yeah. on, on, on relicensing. What a concept. Right. That's the only thing we're asking for, for them to follow their own rules. Okay. 
I do want to mention, I'll jump in real quick. Ray McClendon is with us from Georgia. Ray, great to see you. Um, um, uh, we're going to talk in the second hour about the gerrymandering and legal cases in Georgia. Uh, this first hour, we're going to focus on uh, 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 nuclear and, and energy issues. So hope you can join us in the second hour. If you can't, we certainly will understand. So um, uh, this graphic uh, by Steve from Steve here is, uh, Diablo Canyon was, in fact, scheduled to shut down in 24 and 25. Uh, there was a, a deal cut in 2016, and Gavin Newsom jumped in and now has uh, said uh, they're going to stay open. Uh, go, go, uh, go ahead, please. Sorry. Okay. So we've got that federal court case. We have an appeal going out to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission about this embrittlement, the embrittled reactor vessel of Unit 1. Um, that they they denied our petition on that. We we petitioned that they um, test the the um, sample from Unit One while it's down for refueling, but they denied that petition to us. So we're we're appealing that petition right now. We also have a case in the California Public Utilities Commission where we're. We have proven number, this is the totally ironic part of Diablo Canyon. The reason that D, that Gavin Newsom wanted to keep it online is because he was worried about uh, blackouts during the hottest time of the year. Um, and the blackouts would come between 4 p.m. and 9 p.m. on the hottest days of the year in California. Well, Mothers for Peace. Also, I have I all of these testimonies will appear in the chat uh, soon. Um, that we hired another, the former head of the Mid Continent Independent Systems uh, Operator, which is like the big regulator. We have that. We have the Cal ISO here. They're called the ISOs. There are four of them in the U.S. We, as our expert, we hired the former head for 15 years of the Mid-Continent ISO, who looked at all of the numbers about um, available renewable resources for California, including battery storage. And he has found that we do not need Diablo Canyon. We don't need the power from it, even to stop brownouts. In fact, Diablo Canyon hurts um, the grid because of its uh, unremitting 2200 megawatt, it's called baseload power, that doesn't, they can't ramp up and down, unlike um, renewables that can come on and go offline very um, uh, easily. But Diablo Canyon, you can't ramp it up and ramp it down or, or it'll blow up. So they have to keep it on all the time. Plus, in order to keep Diablo Canyon online, they have to, the state is regular or required to take, to keep 2,200 megawatts of power in reserve 24 seven, not use it, but keep it in reserve in case Diablo Canyon does go online. So uh, if Diablo Canyon were offline, we'd have that extra 2,200 megawatts to work with. So we have enough energy in our in our backup battery reserves to hold us through those critical four four to nine p.m. 
hot times in California, which come up maybe once a year. Didn't come up at all this year. Yeah. Last year it came up once. So Linda has now you've you've told us about your federal lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Now, are you in front of the uh, uh, Public Utilities Commission as well on this that's, issue? That's and what then, I was just talking about. Uh-huh. Okay, so now you you have a filing based on that. And we yeah. actually have a, a energy experts, Robert Freeling and and Ron Leonard, to talk about the um, renewable dimension. We have fifty seven people on the call, and then you also have a proceedings in front of the commission itself about the the relicensing. Is that right? Yeah, but they've rejected it. Um, they they veered us over to this other part of the commission, which is the staff. Um, we we petitioned for a hearing in front of the petitioners. They re- rejected it. They sent us over to the staff and said we should file. This is too much in the weeds for people to know about, but it's called a 2.206 petition, which is the kind of petition that like, if you were worried about um, Diablo Canyon as um, just a concerned citizen, you could, you have the right to file a 2.206 petition with the with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. And I looked up the history of 2.206 proceedings. I only got back about six years. Every single one of them was rejected. That's right. what they do when they want to reject something. They send it over to the 2.206. Okay. So, so you have three major actions, although I will point out that in 1992, a 2.206 petition did help uh, shut the Yankee Row reactor in Massachusetts. The, and it, this is important for people who follow this. And, well, everybody in California needs at least needs to know this. There is a precedent for the Nuclear Regulatory Commission uh, to force the shutdown of an atomic reactor that was embrittled. In 1992, the Yankee Row reactor was an old, at the time it was 30 years old, Diablo now is 40, um, was believed to be embrittled. There was a lot of reasons to suspect. And so for political reasons, there was an actual congressional hearing at which I testified. Um, um, the um, chairman of a subcommittee, uh, Peter Kostmeyer of Pennsylvania, demanded that the nuclear the chair of the Nuclear Regulatory Commission get a report on embrittlement from the Yankee Row reactor. And the, the Yankee Atomic, which owned Yankee Row, couldn't do the test. And with a gun to their head, they never reopened. They were actually shot by lightning and uh, never reopened. So there is precedent for a nuclear power plant being embrittled and not, re- not reopening um, uh, because of embrittlement. But and Linda is right, the 2.206 um, um, in Ron DeSantis's phrase, is where uh, nuclear concerns go to die. Um, but at any rate, so what we have going now in California with a truly great group of the Mothers for Peace is three important proceedings. A federal lawsuit uh, based on uh, 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 the them following their own rules, a, um, uh, a PUC um proceeding based on the fact that Diablo is not needed and a, a, a challenge in, within the commission um, uh, uh, on embrittlement. Is that correct? That's right. And I so, just, uh, um, Carol Hisasaway, one of our board members, 
wrote in here what people can do to help is to donate money to Mothers for Peace. I forgot about that. We have hired these expert witnesses that are very, very expensive. And we're a completely volunteer grassroots organization. We have a board of six active members and we are literally work, working our tails off uh, to um, right. for get no this pay. done. And we need, it's not just that it's for no pay. The, our experts are not for no pay. That's the problem. Right. And we have, right, we right. have to worry about that. And plus we have two uh, lawyers that we have to pay. So uh, oh, uh, and there's a donate button um, on our website. So, but you're if you're and if you're in California, uh, you need to call your uh, state reps, your state senators, and your Congress people, and and you know they're they're going to say, well, we don't have the power, but they do have the power. Um, go ahead, Linda. What they can do. The reason we want you to call your state reps is this: this legislature made created SB 846, they can uncreate it. They can create a new law that says we have enough resources. We don't need Diablo Canyon. It needs to shut down in 24 and 25. And that's what we're working on now with we're meeting with state legislators every day, different ones to tell them the actual facts about Diablo Canyon, because guess what? They don't know. They are busy doing it's not because and I don't, uh, you know, hold it against them because they're in their own districts. They're taking care of their own constituents. The world is on fire. Things are collapsing. They just don't have the bandwidth unless it's brought to their attention. So if you right. call your own representative and say, look, this is a thing that can affect all of California. We don't need it. And it's dangerous. I mean, it's like this ludicrous proposition. Here we have a, a nuclear power plant that could melt down and kill everybody. And and we don't need it. So that is um, like an insanity right there. Right. And it should be illegal. Uh, I, uh, Tatanka Bricker is on with us. And I want to call on Tatanka. He's done a lot of campaigning, has brought a lot of people in. And then we're going to go to uh, uh, Robert Freeling and uh, 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 Ron Leonard to talk about the renewable situation. I do have a hand from Ruth Strauss. We have six, well, we have 58 people on. Go ahead, Ruth Strauss, please. And then we'll go to Tatanka. Got to unmute you. Yeah. Hi. Um, two quick things. One is, um, should uh, we be writing, I, I may have mi missed it, but should we be writing the NRC ourselves like you were talking about? That's number one. Uh, you know, e even if it goes in a circular file just to be on record yeah. or what would you say? I think so. Yeah. But Let them you, know we are not happy. But your 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 um, leverage as a Californian is stronger with the assembly. You're, you're better likely to get a better result uh, oh, yeah. I meant both. Yeah, yeah, okay. sure. Absolutely. And, and the other thing I wanted to say is that um, I know you know this, but this business about four to nine, um, I live near Century City and I can look out my window every night and see all these empty office buildings just ablaze. That's like one part of Los Angeles, which is one part of one city in the California. And, um, the, you know, that. That whole business could be cut down and, yeah. you know, help immeasurably with the grid. Absolutely. Absolutely. We waste um, so much. 
Um, Tatanka, I'm going to call on you in a minute. I just uh, I know that Myla jumped in real quick here, and then we'll go to Tatanka. Myla, you wanted to jump in real quick, and then we'll go to Tatanka, please. Yes. Go ahead. Yes, thank you. Um, I, I'm also hearing that Gavin Newsom may be changing his mind on this. He may be embarrassed, and huh. we need to give him a um, uh, to allow him to save save face. So please contact Gavin Newsom as well. Huh. And I was right. to look up his phone number. So when you're making your phone calls and you're sending those emails, send them to Gavin Newsom as well and and tell him that we have enough energy. We won't be facing blackouts and uh, and please uh, turn this ship around. Thank right. You. And we got to remember that Diablo at this point, because it you know, this is a new paradigm and we're going to discuss it in a minute because Diablo blocks the grid with expensive energy. It costs us more than than not having it at all because we can fill the grid with cheaper renewables. Um, it's 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 a new thing actually. It's only in the last couple of years that this has become true, but that's the reality. Tatanka, please go ahead. Thank you, Mama. Yeah, it may be. Um, I think we're going to have a time where people can brainstorm a little of this. One of the things we need to do is have actions that everything Linda's talking about gets out to ordinary people. So we have to do things that will will hold and keep the media attention. The back to the future idea is not new at all. We need to get young people involved. We need to get universities involved. The place might be the state capital. We might consider having sit-ins and teach-ins and just camp there until you know people start organizing locally people organize where they are in universities people need to understand that this power plant is sitting in their backyard they don't and linda says even the legislators everybody's busy there's so many issues and they have their own constituencies i was at david harris's memorial on thursday night and three friends from southern california uh didn't even realize that Diablo Canyon was opening. Their attention was elsewhere. I mean, th that's how far back they are. These are people that are, you know, will support us. But even the people that understand that it's going to reopen have been sitting with this misinformation, disinformation, malinformation, that nukes are green now, you know. Sure, digging up uranium and everything they do is green. And that they're safe now, just, you know, we say they're safe, they're safe. And that, you know, to get rid of coal, we have to do this, all these lies. So, and the young people weren't around when we were around. They need to be educated. And they were subject for 10 years coming out of their social studies classes with nuclear energy paid for information. I mean, it, it, there's a reason why we need to Think about things that can keep the media's attention so that the people can wake up. And I'm glad we mentioned Gavin again, because I had to, uh, Carol and I were on vacation. I had to miss my my high school reunion again. I went to the same high school he went to. And I have a meeting with the woman coordinating everything with our high school about doing something out of his high school. If you want to be taken seriously, Gavin, on the national level, you can't stab the people of California in the back and pretend you're an environmentalist when you do this. So we are leaving you a way out, you know, 
you we're leaving you you can say you've seen the errors of your ways my god a, a politician that does that that, that will show some uh, you know truth and reconciliation possibilities anyway i'm i'm thinking about the possibility of sit-ins and teach-ins in addition to anything else we do both locally and maybe getting the you know the ex prime minister of japan if he's still alive to come out and have something in la what it's like on the ground for a nuclear meltdown or a nuclear explosion Thank well, I, I will say this. Um, Linda and I have both uh, experienced the San Luis Obispo County Jail, and it's very comfortable. Um, but um, maybe we need to um, um, get out of our comfort zone and go go up to Sacramento. Uh, but uh, I, I don't know where our, our, uh, uh, the idea that Gavin could be changing his mind is. But it's the, the way to win it really in California is to mobilize the solar industry. There's 70,000 people installing solar panels in California. And we have the goods, as you're going to hear. Um, you know, we would win in a free market. And this and this thing is not insured. You can't drive a car in California without insurance or without brakes, for that matter. But, you know, um, nonetheless, here we are. So, so I'm, I'm going to follow up on what Mothers for Peace say they need. They need us to communicate to our representatives very much in the state of California. Well, you can take a bunch of people and go visit your person and then you can get other people to do the same thing. And we can have people parked out there as well as on site as they at Diablo, as well as someplace in downtown LA, all with the same very simple message. We don't need it. Right. And it's, and it's costing us money. It's costing I mean, us money and it's dangerous as hell. And what people have to understand, and this is very important. I know I'm sorry, dominating here, but there was a deal made. And the deal was in very everybody's best interest. And Gavin Newsom signed that deal. It was signed in 2016 by Governor Jerry Brown, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, the unions, for God's sakes, the company, the local governments, the environmental groups. Uh, um, and the regulators of state and federal, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission signed off. This was a deal cut. The only people that didn't sign off were the Mothers for Peace, who demanded it be shut immediately, which is perfectly fine as far as I'm concerned. But nonetheless, this was, if ever there was a solemn uh, uh, across-the-board deal that should have been honored, it's the one that was cut in 2016. And this guy just waltzes in. And, and and pulls the plug on a deal he signed and then right, right before the legislature was going to go off to vacation telling them yes. a big lie now i i happen to believe that they weren't in good faith all along watching this and the way i think about it because they can't say it out loud nuclear plants are looking at red ink now if they if they have to decommission they're just looking at losses so what do they do they do this kind of sabotage with big money coming down through the Biden administration, et cetera. Basically, the message is we're incompetent, we're broke, we're too big to fail, and the people will pay for us simply to keep going to have the situation be even worse for the next generation. It's a right. too big to fail ploy, which we've seen before, but that doesn't even get uttered. But I think that's what's happening. 
Yes, and, and what people don't understand in California, and Mary Douglas has correctly pointed out, this is a national issue uh, because, among other things, because of where the plant is situated. God forbid there's a major accident at the Abo Canyon. That radiation goes straight across the country. I mean, that, that's where it's, it, it's like, you know, focused. But uh, uh, the, what people don't understand, I don't think, uh, in California is that the Bill 846 that they ran through the legislature makes everybody in the whole state pay for Diablo Canyon. It's no longer just limited to their to PG&E's service territory. And Carl Grossman knows this very well in New York. When they bailed out the four reactors in New York, Cuomo m- made the whole state pay for it. And they're called car- sitting on Long Island hundreds of miles from these four reactors in the upstate. He never gets a, 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 an electron from them, and he has to pay for it. I'm in the uh, uh, DWP down here in L.A. I'm paying for Diablo Canyon, which yeah, I get we, nothing from. We have from. to pivot from some from some assumptions that we had, which is when solar, which is much safer and is decentralized, it, it's more supportive of community. When that gets competitive and gets cheaper than the alternative, we'll get it. Well, guess what? That was happening. So California leads the, the nation in solar. That was happening. In order to prevent the market from working, we do a backdoor too big to fail. And the public pays and they lie that it's safe. And, you know, they don't even want to face embrittlement. Obviously, they're running from that. So we just have to we need we need people to understand this. And we need well, to I think, understand I, it, that it's in their backyard, even though they think they can keep it out of sight, out of mind. In the, in the history of the anti-nuclear movement, I'll get to Justin and Maya in a minute, but, and Linda, we've had this conversation. In the history of the anti-nuclear movement, when we've won, it's always almost always been on economic issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and San Onofre won because the thing, I, I mean, what they did in San Onofre, you know, it's like if you have a flat tire and you put the wrong size tire back on the car. I mean, these people were just so stupid. And then they and then they had um uh you know a radiation an actual radiation leak and they were losing money. There was a because they were looking at a huge expenditure at San Onofre to put in new steam generators. Uh you know they were supposed to put in new cooling towers at Diablo Canyon. They don't want to do that. And that and but you know here we are. But I think it's the economic issues that could win it for us. And we could conceivably we could win at the PUC. It's not likely, but we could, right? I mean, Linda, is that still a, a, a technical possibility? Yes, it is actually a technic. Technically, we could win at the PUC, but and uh, by the way, Mothers for Peace, we are meeting with the the commissioners too uh, to talk with them and explain to them the reality of this situation rather than some this fantasy that we've been given. Um, yes. And, well, and, historically, we, we found politically that people care less about the possibility of being wiped out by a radiation cloud than they do about their electric bill. <laughs> you know, I mean, true. it's the political reality. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, Justin and then Maya, please. And, and let's keep it to where we can really do stuff here. This is very good. I really appreciate this. Thank you to the to talk about and anybody else wants to jump in on this uh, uh brainstorm, that's what it's for. We have 63 people with us. Go ahead, Justin, and then Maya and then Wendy. Yeah. So some specifics that have clear relevance. One of them is San Onofre shutdown. You know, we mentioned about the economic case uh for the long-term costs versus the short-term shutdown. Uh a 
big deal about that from my understanding is that uh, even with uh, realizing that it wasn't going to be profitable, uh, SoCal Edison still had to be in some ways bought off uh, to go through the process of the decommissioning. Now, uh, and, and a lot of ratepayers were still paying for it. Uh, that said, it still would be, I think, a lot less than what the expected price tag of Diablo Canyon's extension is. They want to say that it'll be about $3.3 billion to operate it unto 2030. And so that's a lot of money that, you know, uh, $1 billion is 50, uh, 50, sorry, 1,000 people's salary for a year on median wage. Uh, and, you know, that's three of those. So that's a lot of money. And uh, secondarily, uh, in terms of like saving face for Newsom, uh, he could actually offload uh, the responsibility, the burden onto the Coastal Commission because they recently reauthorized, I believe it's something like 3,700 megawatts of natural gas plants that were scheduled to shut down. And they could reauthorize all of those too. And of course, Diablo Canyon is only 2,300. So almost double. Uh, there, there's plenty of margin just in that alone, much less any of the other demand response that we could. Uh, You're right. You're right. And what we're here, Justin, is they don't need it. They don't need to do that even. I mean, we've we've got all we need from wind and solar and batteries. Even those are excess. A whole total of yes. thirty-seven, or sorry, thirty-five percent margin. And in the peak summer, Diablo is less than five percent. Right, and just for the record, we have one point eight million rooftop um, installations in the in the state of California, which generate uh, as a whole way more electricity than Diablo does. At, a, fraction, a fraction of the cost. So we have Ron Leonard and, and Bob Freeling on who are going to talk about that. Let's go to Maya, Wendy, and then we'll go to um, um, uh, Bob Freeling and, um, and, and Ron Leonard. Go ahead, Maya. So thank you for the, for the powerful conversation and Linda for the great leadership. Really, really wonderful. Um, I have a question for you. The California was identified as one of the seven hydrogen hubs. And the California hydrogen hub, like the hydrogen hub on, I'm the Del, I'm on the East Coast working on the Delaware River. And the hydrogen hub that's targeted for the Delaware River, like the California hydrogen hub, is being billed as a hydrogen hub that's going to be all um, about, uh, it's going to be green hydrogen, right? So it's going to be all clean, clean energy is going to power the creation of the clean hydrogen, right? Um, but very clearly in our hub there they are they are very clearly stating that they view nuclear as part of the clean energy that will fuel the hydrogen hub they're proposing here and we also have plants that should be that i've been battling for years that should be shutting down within the coming years and what's very clear is they're articulating or they're naming the companies that own those plants so it's very clear they're they're planning life extensions for for those operations because of this hydrogen hub. And so I was just wondering, uh, I know it's horrifying, right? but I was just wondering, Linda, if if that's come onto your radar at all, this new hydrogen hub proposal. You know, it has, and I haven't spent that much time with it, but there's a consortium that's built here. It includes this, it's, oh, I wish I could remember the acronym, but it's uh, 
these it's leaders. It's S C R E W U. What? It's S C R E W U. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> it it's between like you know Vandenberg Air Force Base is here now. It's called the Space Force Base, um, and there's this. Um, relationship between Vandenberg and using the Diablo Canyon site as the place for this renewable energy hub, which may be the hydrogen hub. Um, and maybe secretly deep inside, they're planning on using the green renewable energy from Diablo Canyon to, to power the, oh, that makes me, my heart, just, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry yeah. to raise it up, but I I mean, yeah. we're finding for a lot of reasons, nukes and other things, but, you know, there are a whole lot of battles we've been having for years where they were at various stages and, and the opposition just got new life because right. they're now getting tons of money from the Biden administration to lift, lift up all this crap under the guise of making clean hydrogen, which in and of itself is a misnomer. It's right. well, I'm, I'm sorry to raise it and put Maya, it on your radar, but it's an important one, I think. Maya, don't apologize because the other thing unsaid, which, which connects the dots, is the only reason for the existence of nuclear power is fission material for nuclear weapons. And they need it. They need it to go in space. They need it for the land. And they're not talking about that. And if you listen to... Right to Oliver Stone's film, Nuclear Now, which is a bust, but and RV wrote a great article on it. The very first thing they said is, one of the problems is people are misinformed. When we say nuclear power, they think nuclear weapons. Right. But that's the point precisely is the point. And that's the yeah. point that nobody talks about anymore because that's by design. That's their, they don't want us to connect the dots. It's all about, not just that it's for nuclear weapons, but that plant 15 miles from my home and even closer to Linda's home is a nuclear weapon waiting to happen. Right. And all the, the um, uh, there, there's never been such a thing as a, as the peaceful atom. It's always come out of the Atomic Energy Commission. It's fissionable material. It's trained personnel um, and it's infrastructure, including waste management that uh, that they need the civilian industry for. And uh, uh, Maya, uh, all the reactors, I assume you're dealing with Limwick and Peach Bottom. Um, and the, the ones in Delaware, all the reactors in this country average 40 years of age. And, and Brittleman is a, a huge issue. And uh, it's not that hard to understand. And not all of these reactors are embrittled, all of them, because of the heat pressure and radiation over the decades. So you need to look at the filings that the mothers are doing on the embrittlement issue because they definitely apply uh, to your old reactors in your neighborhood there. And you can go back and get some great quotes from Joe Biden who lived across the river from uh, a nuclear plant in New Jersey. And he lives and across the river from the Salem Nuclear Generating Station, and he has it, not done ever when he right. was in office, and he could have. And he, but he also oh, has great quotes about the, about it and about the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Yeah. You got to go back and see what he said. It was actually uh, quite amazing. Uh, let me do Connie Klein, and then we'll go to Wendy. Uh, okay, Connie's in Ohio dealing with the Perry reactor. She's 35 miles from the only reactor in the United States that's been hit twice by earthquakes <laughs> in Ohio. Thank you very much. Uh, Connie, go ahead, please, and then Wendy. Um, actually, and then we're going to go into the renewables. I live closer than, than 35 miles. I just, um, 
Linda, I, I, I put my email and um, phone number in the chat again. Will you put yours? I did. It. I did. Oh, oh, good. Okay. Um, I just, I want to get some clarification because we're in a similar uh, renewal bat battle for Perry. Um, the... The lawsuit that you filed regarding the fact that that they got an exemption um, for the five-year uh, rule to um, to apply for renewal was that also denied? Yes, and we're but I forgot to say this that will probably end up in the Ninth Circuit Court too. Okay. Yeah. Um, we filed our reply brief to that last week. And so. Diane. Diane Kern is doing that. Yes. And then the, the one about embrittlement that was denied, that's the one where they told you to file a 2.206. Yes. Okay. Um, is there no way to go to federal court on embrittlement at this point? All right, you're, we don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I'd have to ask Diane. Okay. And I, Diane Kern, by the way, was the lawyer on the Yankee Row case in the 1990s where we won. So yeah. that's a good track. I mean, of everything embrittlement, you would think, I mean, it is the most serious, and you would think that someone would take it the most seriously. But, but um, know, and as far as funny, hydrogen, oh, go ahead. What I think about embrittlement is this I think that the human being's greatest, like most adaptable and strongest response is denial. And that, that's for everything. It's not just about nuclear power. And they go like, well, look, it's practically 40 years old. Hasn't melted down yet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really think that otherwise people would be terrified. Yes, wow. it's truly, truly astounding. And uh, um, go ahead, Connie. Well, it's such an uphill battle because... You know, when I first got involved in this, and I, I also go back 50 years to Davis Bessie, we had some support from the Democratic Party. There's zero now. They're, they're, they're the worst. Um, and as far as hydrogen goes in Ohio, they were, they were going to use, um, well, they were proposing uh, a hydrogen hub at Davis Bessey that apparently is gone now. Um, they're not they're not interested in that anymore. Vina Colley's on the phone. I, I I think they're still proposing one for Portsmouth, and they're proposing one not too far from uh, Perry actually in Ashtabula County, which is a a county over to the east. Um, I have not followed hydrogen that much. I mean, it's in California. I, you can you can s split water using solar power and right hydrogen I, I, that way. I will say, in in two thousand five, six, seven, something like that, I was asked by a foundation in San Francisco to write a book about the hydrogen economy, and I took the money. Had great dinner with my buddies. And I, I sat down for a month to start to write about 
the emerging hydrogen economy. <laughs> I had to go back to the guys and say, look, man, it's BS. Hydrogen is, is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I won't, I won't go into the detail. And that's why I wrote Solartopia, because I, I, I took took the money, but I had to write a book. So I, I wrote Solartopia and said, but, you know, the hydrogen economy, it's nonsense. It's utter, It's a scam. It's a total scam. We, we can talk about it in detail another time because I, I do want to get into renewables. And we are going to blow by our, our top of the hour, by the way. It's already um, uh, eight minutes till. And, uh, and I want we need to do a deep dive on renewables in conjunction with uh, Diawa because that's I think that's the key to how we're going to win, not only here, but also uh, around the rest of the country. Uh, Wendy, go ahead. Uh, anybody else want to raise a hand? I'm going to go to Robert Freeling next, and we're going to jump into the renewable situation. Go ahead, Wendy. Thank you. Um, I had a couple of quick points, points about Florida. I do want to say I'm glad that Maya and Linda got to meet and I'll shoot you guys an in introduction email after the show I met to last week. She's a brilliant environmental lawyer that started the Green Amendments Movement. So I, I feel like you guys have a lot of synergy. Um, So in Turkey Point, which is like 20, 30 miles from me in Miami, it's right in Hurricane Alley sitting on Biscayne Bay a couple of years ago, they found out it's leaking tritium into Biscayne Bay and into the aquifer that serves millions of people. And they barely talk about it since. Um, it's supposed to shut down in 2032 and there's been cases and appeals. And so they're trying to, FPL still trying to get them to stay open until 2050. And I just read like just now, um, I'll put some links in the chat that apparently I guess like the plants still have like 60 years after they shut down to find something to do with the waste, which is just, I mean, like, I don't even have words for that. Um, the water keepers, they were fighting at the Miami water keepers, but they're also saying that they're not really against um, nuclear. I just found a couple articles that I'll drop. Um, the former, I guess the former NRC uh, head under Obama has been really fighting. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah. And then there's another guy who is the former um, mayor of South Miami, which is where Turkey Point is. And he's also a marine biologist, Philip Stoddard. He's been doing a lot of good work, apparently. And when I went to go check out his website from several different links, it's all a bad gateway. So he might be a, an effective person if they're trying to silence him. So I'll put a couple of links okay. in the chat because I feel like like I think it was like um, Minnesota, I believe, had a linking a leaky reactor. Like yeah, this, again, yeah. So I mean, it's something that it's like again, it's like if that bursts, I'll probably feel radiation. There was radiation in California from Fukushima. Like it's it's all connected, and so maybe there needs to be a synergy of all the different groups getting together, just as like one united force of like we don't need this anymore, and we all have problems. And it's it's like tritium in the drinking water come on like i mean it's it's just unbelievable so i just wanted to put that up thank you well, i will point out very briefly in, in 1991 um after um um hurricane andrew went directly over uh turkey point uh there was a challenge uh, to fema to not reopen we came down with a group of one of the few nuclear plants i've been in uh because they had a um uh, a press conference in there and we demanded they not reopen until they show how they could evacuate uh, South Florida in the middle of a hurricane. And, um, you know, and we're carrying on this campaign and all of a sudden they open the thing. And, uh, you know, it was, it's insane. So you should be aware of that issue, of course, in South Florida. Um, can we move on to uh, Carol Hasasway? Uh, it's good to see you. I don't know if Ray McClendon is still on. 
I can't see my uh, screen for some reason. Uh, Ray, if you want to uh, jump in and uh, talk a bit about uh, what's going on in Georgia uh, with the um, legal situation. And of course, Georgia... Ray's out here. Not oh, okay, here. he left. Uh, Georgia, God help him. Uh, they, they're, they're about to get a $40 billion bill for two reactors. It's insane. But let's go now, um, uh, as we near the top of the hour, let's switch into the, the realities of renewables. Because that's really the key, Linda, I think, and everybody else to winning in California and elsewhere. Because uh, uh, wind and solar have gotten so big uh, everywhere, but especially in California, they don't they don't have a leg to stand on economically. Quite the opposite. So Robert Freeling and then uh, and Ron Leonard, uh, if you guys want to, oh Mary Stonewall, you said you have to leave. Do you want to say something very quick uh, on renewables, and then we'll go right to Robert. Go ahead, um, Mary. Very quickly. Yeah, quickly. Um... Number one, I really think we should petition to get uh, radi radioactivity um, no longer called nuclear because that was a coin that they come up with. So it sounded like it was clean and better than coal or whatever. So we got to get rid of that because it's a misnomer. And number two, I've mentioned before, there's a Georgia case uh, that happened in 1793. If we could overturn that one case, you, the citizens, can have more power when you go after these nuclear power plants because of them contaminating your land and water because it's an infringement on your inherent natural rights as a U.S. citizen. Okay. And that infringement got taken away from you with the, with the court case of 1793 in Georgia. Yeah, I, I remember it. I, 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 I don't remember the name. If you put the... <laughs> Literally, I do remember the case. I just don't remember the name. If you put it in the chat, that would be great. Um, All right. Um, I got to go because I have I'm in college now. Oh, good 58. for you. All right. Well, uh, but anyway, go ahead. Thank you very much. Um, Robert, I'm going to get to you in a second. I'll give Alex a minute. Uh, Alex, go ahead very quickly, please. Uh, we didn't unmute. There you go. Go ahead. Alex. I really liked what you talked about before. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. And we're glad to have you on the call. Keep with us. Okay, now Robert Freeling and Ron Leonard are two of the truly great experts on renewable energy. They don't get any better than these two guys. And Robert has done, uh, somewhere in California, has done tremendous research specifically on Diablo and, and, and can explain to us, and Ron will follow up, uh, on why, what our economic case is and why we should be able to win uh, on, on this issue. So go ahead, uh, Robert Freeling, please. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having this discussion ongoing. So um, I've been involved with um, uh, Women's Energy Matters as a party at the Public Utilities Commission in the Diablo Canyon proceeding. Uh, we were involved and, and, and worked with Mothers for Peace, actually, in, in both proceedings, the original one to shut it down back in 2016. And then Unfortunately, having to come back and relitigate this issue, as someone pointed out, this had already been a settled matter. Maybe it was Linda who talked about that. We, we already went through all through this. And PG&E actually made the case themselves that the growth of clean energy in California was going to render Diablo Canyon irrelevant in the future. Not only irrelevant, uh, they argued that it would be an unnecessary expense that was not needed for reliability. They made all those arguments themselves in their written testimony. 
And I was there in the room when the witness from PG&E raised their hand and swore that all this testimony they were submitting to the commission was complete, true, and correct. On, it was on PG&E's word, if you want to trust that. But in this case, it was true. And uh, they made multiple arguments for why Diablo Canyon would not fit in a clean energy uh, environment, which was being mandated by state law and was growing quite rapidly. Um, and one of these was the conflict between solar and wind energy demand as a second element. And the fact, as Linda pointed out before, that Diablo Canyon provides inflexible baseload and it's inflexible on, on a short term basis, meaning from minute to minute and hour to hour. And it's during those periods of time that renewable energy varies. But it turns out that's also the period of time over which demand varies. Because demand is not flat like a base load plant. So solar and wind don't really introduce a new fact into this. Demand already changes and nuclear is already unsuitable to meet that need and always needed auxiliary sources of fossil fuel and other types of energy in order to balance supply and demand because nuclear power cannot do that by itself. So that was one thing. PG&E actually produced a graph, which we put in our testimony. I don't know if I can I do a screen share. Yeah, um, that, Steve can Steve handles that. Go ahead. So how do I? Yeah, hit the green button. Get your screen ready to go, and hit your green button, and select that screen in the share, and then see. click share on the right side. Let's see if I can do this because um, I'd like to share some of the things that. Uh, well, of course, uh, screen share doesn't do. Oh, there you go. Okay, but you, you got to remember we're also on radio, so you got to be um, as explicit. Yeah, I'll as try and possible. I'll try and verbalize the uh, <laughs> the imagery. Um, so the first image I have here, which is in our testimony, is the history of greenhouse gas emissions in California since 2000, and during the 2000s, the first decade of this uh, century. Uh, greenhouse emissions in the electricity sector in California peaked at about 120 million um, metric tons per year. That was about a, a quarter of the greenhouse gas emissions of the state, which made decarbonizing electricity a very high priority at that time. And those of us working in the electricity sector policy uh, understood this was low-hanging fruit because we only needed to put together a handful of policies together because there's a limited number of power plants and, and they are generally regulated and controlled by the government. Yes, there are elements of market there, but energy, every form of energy in this world is highly regulated and controlled by government. So government um, is, a, is a decision making point. During that first decade, the state set up a series of policies, including its first climate plan, um, which was to reduce greenhouse gas emissions to 1990 levels by 2020. Well, it turned out that the electricity sector did far better than that and cut greenhouse gas emissions in half in, in a decade period. During that decade, and what this graph shows is the declining emissions from 120 million metric tons in 2008 to 59 million tons by 2020, a reduction again by half. In 2012, San Onofre nuclear plant retired uh, and because of all the problems they were having down there, which you mentioned before. And greenhouse emissions briefly went up for about one year. And by the next year, they had already declined almost to the level they had been the year before. And that's because 
first of all, the things that were happening in 2012 were not just the retirement of the nuclear plant. We also had a drought, which caused increase in use of natural gas temporarily. There was also a spike in demand. If those things had not happened, the retirement of San Onofre would not have resulted in any increase in greenhouse gases that year because of the rate of the growth of clean energy. So what this graph shows is we can meet our climate targets spectacularly, uh, even retiring a nuclear plant that virtually the same size as Diablo Canyon because of the rate we've been growing clean energy. Now, clean energy is not just renewable energy. It's also energy efficiency and conservation, which California has also been doing quite well. Uh, and that's actually almost as significant as the renewable energy. It's not just a secondary thing. A second uh, point is that the growth of renewable energy, California currently has about 30,000 megawatts of solar energy. About and half of that. 30,000 megawatts. How many megawatts is Diablo Canyon? Diablo Canyon, great question, is a little over 2,000 megawatts. So, so 2,000 megawatts versus 30. Over 30,000, yeah. And about half of that is on rooftops, and about half of that is large-scale uh, uh, in, in solar farms, which is, of course, something that's rather unique to solar energy, is that you can put it on rooftops. The interesting thing is that um, in the past year, uh, that was true not only in, in California, but actually all over the world, that solar energy is about equally split. Um, China came to realize was the leading installers of solar energy in the world by far, way beyond, way beyond what we're installing, um, installed half of its solar on rooftops this past year because they found they couldn't build transmission and site large scale uh, solar plants fast enough in order to connect it all and integrate it with the grid. And there's uh, one, so other, one other uh, development in, um solar that people may not be aware of, which is agrivoltaics, which is a, a, where they're, they're learning very quickly how to uh, raise crops underneath solar panels. And, and, and generally they like them to be tall, but um, um, there, there seems to be, quite, there was a big piece in the LA Times about this, Sammy Roth did, about how you can graze cattle, but also raise uh, quite substantial range of, of shade crops under solar panels. So the this uh, idea that when you put solar panels on farmland, that it becomes you know a desert underneath is actually quite untrue. And uh, they've seen that, especially in California at Rancho Seco, the nuclear plant, which was surrounded by so, uh, solar panels and where they're doing quite well with agrivoltaics. So I wanted to inject that. Go ahead, Robert, please. Yeah, well, I think you raise, a, 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 in a sense, a sort of broader, more important point, which is that um, solar energy is the ultimately flexible type of energy for citing it virtually anywhere. I have solar cells on my pocket calculator. There's no reason that solar has to be put hundreds or thousands of miles away from where you live. The sun shines everywhere on Earth. And um, the, uh, that benefit, that it is modular, that a single cell can generate electricity that fits on your fingernail or on the palm of your hand, uh, it could be at that scale or it can be uh, enormous. Um, and it, but we're not fully taking advantage of that. This is a problem with the Newsom administration policy is that they've been attacking rooftop solar 
at the same time that they've been promoting the nuclear power. So you asked me before, what is the conflict? Part of it is political. Um, another part of it is financial, uh, which was has been brought up. Um, in this proceeding, uh, uh, PG&E was asked to estimate the costs of continuing to run Diablo Canyon past 2024-25, and they put down a filing that they had given to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, which turned out to be an incomplete uh, accounting, even by PG&E's admission of the total cost. They estimated it to be about $750 million a year, which Justin was saying would add up to about $3 billion extension. Uh, Turn, a uh, ratepayer advocate group, uh, countered with that there were $800 million a year in costs that were not being accounted for in PG&E's uh, filings to the CPUC or the NRC. Uh, PG&E objected to this and said, no, it's not $800 million that we left out. It was only $400 million. <laughs> okay. So they were haggling over how many hundreds of millions of dollars PG&E left out of their own accounting. Um, the $400 million tops the magic number annual, if you add the 750 and the 400, means that the annual expense does top the, the big B, means it, meaning it's over a billion dollars a year. Uh, by PG&E's admission, and if Turn is right, it would be 1.6 billion. Now, all of that pales, of course, next to what Fukushima, an event like Fukushima would cost. Uh, the lowest cost for long-term for Fukushima that I saw was 170 billion, and the highest cost was over a half a trillion. So, that's the there's a bottomless pit of risk for how much Diablo Canyon could cost. If if that happened in California and the wind was blowing to LA, it would be it's, in, it's incalculable. Cost. It's essentially it would be incalculable. incalculable. So the financial let me ask risk. you quickly, Robert. Let me interject yeah. here. Uh, the the deal that Newsom has cut for to keep Diablo going involves 1.4 billion dollars in state money and a billion one in federal money. In other words, two and a half billion dollars. How much solar capacity could be installed in California and how quickly for two and a half billion dollars? Well, first of all, you don't need to subsidize solar energy. In other words, it's being built by customers already. As you saw, we already have 15,000 megawatts of rooftop solar without really hardly any state subsidies at all. So, so in a certain sense, it's free but from the public purse. You don't need to spend public money on them. But to answer your question, um, gigawatt, you could spend, you could build gigawatt with that. And what is that? How does that compare to Diablo's ca uh, capacity? Well, as I say, you don't need to subsidize solar energy because it's actually new utility scale, large scale solar plants. The contracts are coming, have been coming in in the last few years at two to four cents a kilowatt hour. That's a fraction of the seven to eight cents that. PG&E per kilowatt hour that PG&E has on the record. And that is not even still a, a, an exhaustive accounting of all the costs. So the fact is you can build solar energy today at large scale uh, and save uh, an enormous amount of money compared to the continuing Diablo Canyon. And as was pointed out, a part of this nasty SB846 was to make all customers in California of the large investor-owned utilities, which is 80% of the customers in California, financially liable to pay all the ongoing expenses going forward uh, for Diablo Canyon after 2025. So what that means is that's like a tax on top of the renewable energy that we'll be building. 
you have to you're paying for all the renewable energy and then you'll be pay a special tax on your bill for Diablo Canyon, even if you're not using one kilowatt hour from Diablo Canyon. That's actually been going on for years. The community choice programs are not customers of PG&E. Most of them do not take Diablo Canyon power. And any customer of a PG&E, whether they take nuclear power or not, has to pay part of their electric bill in PG&E's territory today for Diablo, their quote unquote fair share of Diablo Canyon, meaning they're using none of it, yet they have to pay for as if they were consuming a pro rata share. Now that deal well, is going to get expanded to the whole state after 2025. And this was, as Carl Grossman, who's sitting on Long Island paying for um, the upstate New York reactors knows and wrote about, they, they pulled that off in New York um, a couple of years ago when they, when they sat, subsidized $7.6 billion for four, to keep four reactors going upstate and then are, are forcing everybody in the state to pay for them. Is and that that's right? what, yeah, because it's not competitive. And, and the reason the charge is made here is because of the above market stranded costs of Diablo Canyon. That's the part that they charge customers who have left. So the idea that Diablo Canyon saving money, which is what the pro nuclear, the green nuclear people said, um, that, uh, that it was going to save us money to extend it. Historically and in the future, that's not true. It's costing extra money, which is precisely what they're charging other customers is for the above market stranded costs. That's what people pay for. It's unbelievable. Car uh, uh, let's let Ron Leonard jump in, another great expert on renewables. Um, uh, but this is all stuff. This is where we can win. Th this is the winning issue in California, I think. Uh, and um, I know that the mothers are in front of the PUC. I believe um, A4NR, Alliance for Nuclear Responsibility, with John Giesman, <coughs> who used to be with PUC. Um, th this is a great way to go, I think. Uh, go ahead, uh, Ron Leonard, please. So there's a lot of pieces in this pie. And the, the pie adds up to what are we going to do? And their argument on the other side of the equation is this, Oh, geez, this renewable stuff. We've never done this before. So we have to do what we used to do with nuclear power plants and, uh, and polluting uh, turbines and other things. It's just too hard to think about it. But that's not true anymore. So first truth, uh, solar saved the grid. Solar saved the grid in California in the exact heat wave that was described in our call. And uh, the way it saved the, the grid was partially California's fault because California had an adequate number of batteries on the grid to basically handle the excess load that occurred at 7.30 at night. But what did they do? They turned those batteries down. In other words, they drained them at two o'clock in the afternoon. Why? Well, the law says that you have to drain the batteries when the price for electricity reaches a dollar. Stupid move number one. Stupid move number two was that they really didn't consider the simple fact that any grid study in the world, any right-minded ISO in the world, the California ISO to be specific, knows when these loads occur and how to deal with it. Now, if you look at a concrete example, and it's in the chat, Australia. Australia, you know, really is a, uh, a um, canary in the coal mine, which is what I put in the chat. And the canary in the coal mine, Australia, uh, basically gets 32% of its energy from 
solar. Rooftop solar is the major part of that, a whopping 57% of the installed capacity. Now, the funny thing is, whereas California has this, you know, 1.5, 1.8 million solar roofs, Australia has 3 million solar roofs. Whoa. And they give a majority of that power that Australia needs every day. And it works. It works very effectively. It's cheaper. The prices in Australia for power that used to be from coal are falling. It all works. We don't have to rethink the world. We don't have to reinvent things. We have proven this. And we've not only proven it in Australia, we've proven it in Hawaii because their other argument is, oh, we can't have this distributed solar, which reinforces the effectiveness of the grid's delivery of power solar in where the power is needed we can't do that because the, the local grid can't handle that well the local grid in hawaii is now transmitting sometimes 110 percent of their rated capacity for that line in the local grid with solar energy it works it's functional it's cheaper it's sensible it's a smart thing to do and the last part is the little action that uh, California did last year called NEM3. And it's, uh, it's the mouse that uh, took down the world recently, sadly. And that, that little action, uh, which before California decided that they were going to cut back the rebate, which is what NEM3 is about, uh, net energy metering, which is what NEM stands for, uh, worked great. They were willing to put uh, more solar in it on a yearly basis to increase the 1.8 million solar systems 40% per year on people's roofs. And the state wasn't paying for it. People were paying for it. Well, they cut that back to the extent that this year, that 40% growth is no longer a growth at all. And in fact, the California NEM3 cutback has really actually put a damper on the solar market for this year for residential roofs. And this is the unfortunate and divisive way that government has ruled uh, presently and in the past. And now Arizona recently, within the last month, has followed uh, California's example of trying to kill solar rooftops, which saved the California grid. And it's just dumb. We know well, better than this. Somebody's making money on it. I mean, you know, there there is a certainly a major industry that doesn't want solar to spread. And that's why whenever I see all these articles about how we have to improve the grid, we don't have to improve the grid. We have to put solar panels on rooftops. That's, and they, they, that's they complain, they complain about the grid. They complain that the grid killed people in California. So they made them bury the lines in California. But that was going to cost way too much money to bury those lines. It was going to cost over $5 million a mile. Well, it only cost four million dollars a mile and i'm looking at the grid cost upgrades across the nation and just for standard overhead lines the utilities are scoffing up to the tune of six million dollars a mile to put an overhead line in somebody's making a profit and when a utility does that infrastructure charge they are guaranteed a 10 percent profit your well, point it seems that the um the king kong coal oil nukes and gas is most afraid of rooftop solar. They, 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 you know, it's like watered for the wicked witch of the West here. 
That that is the bottom line of democratizing the the grid. But how many thousand square miles of uh, of rooftop do we have in the United States that could be covered with with uh, with solar panels? Well, actually, it's de minimis, and uh, functionally, if we had rooftops, say the study that was done thirty years ago um, by my friend Richard Perez, he analyzed the rooftops in Queens and also in Staten Island and the Bronx and figured out those rooftops could replace the entire electrical system of Con Ed, one of the largest utilities in the United States. And he looked at the amount of solar space needed for the entire power system of New York State, which is 30 gigawatts, would be 0.15% of the state's area. We have more rooftops, more parking lots, more bad land, which would be things like landfills and I don't know. And also Canal, the, uh, the the aqueduct, the aqueduct. Yeah, is exactly, exactly. So, so there you go. We have well, no problem. We have no problem. We can do this, Linda. This is, I think, politically, this is this is where we can win. Um, uh, it seems to me because you don't have trouble selling solar to people in California anymore. People know it works, and uh, they know there's money in it. What we need to do, I think, above all, is to organize the solar industry. I don't know why they, they're not politically active. We've had this for 40 years. The solar yeah. industry apparently is politically brain dead. We've never <laughs> got any mileage in shutting nuclear any, any nuclear power plant from the solar industry. I don't get it. I interviewed in 1976, I interviewed the head of the sheet metal workers union. His name was Ed Carlo. And they were all excited about solar because they did air conditioning. But then he got indicted on something and it never, <laughs> you know, what can I tell you? But this is this is how I think politically this is where we win. Well, I think we also need to look at the laws that favor our argument. And obviously the uh, federal laws are in our favor now. But Linda, I think you really should uh, look at the externality in California, which happens to do the state environmental permit for Diablo turning back on requires them to analyze the hot water going back into the bay again. And we won that case in New York against a speedies permit, polluting uh, them, ignoring the fact that they had to apply for that permit and took it to court, sued New York City in 2001. So you could stop nuclear power on the state law that requires them to follow procedures and file permits because the federal law obviously is lacking in sanity. And if you look at reservoir.org, you'll see the, the result of suing Mayor Judy uh, uh, <laughs> Giuliani uh, for uh, trying to kill uh, a major trout stream. Uh, for some reason, my screen is a little screwed up. I can't, I can't get a gallery to see whose hands are up. Uh, Myla has told me that um, Robert uh, Freeling Robert Freeling has him. Steve Caruso. Yeah, get Robert on. Uh, Robert, Robert, Wright, yeah. Robert Freeling, Paul Newman. Yeah, I can't see Let, the. At any rate, let's hear from Robert Freeling. He's yeah. been right. And then there's Steve Caruso and then um, uh, Paul Newman. Go Dorothy, ahead. she's still there. Oh, okay. I can't, I can't see for some reason. <laughs> okay. So, should I start? Where are you, Robert? Now? Okay. Go ahead, Robert. Yes. Right. Uh, there we so, go. There we go. I got it now. You got it now. Okay, good. All Go right, ahead, so, Robert, and then uh, uh, Dorothy, and then Paul. Okay. And then 
But go ahead, Robert, please. Yeah, so I wanted to reply to a couple of things that Ron said. Uh, the California grid operator, which is called TISO, uh, every summer does modeling for how much uh, different resources might be needed for the summer and whether there'll be any shortfalls. And he mentioned how uh, last September, when we had record peak um, uh, demand of 52,000 megawatts on the KISO grid, uh, thousands of megawatts higher, about 2,000 megawatts higher than it ever been, uh, remind people that the power did not go out anywhere during that record heat. We had plenty of reserve margin. The, the North American Electric uh, Reliability Council put out a report that said California's grid had a had grown to a 35% reserve margin above forecast peak demand. So we have plenty of electricity. A lot of that is the solar energy. And their modeling, they ran 2,000 scenarios through their, through their grid modeling and found that the reserve margin would drop below 6% in the hours that you mentioned, uh, that had been mentioned before, between 4 and, and 8 or 9 p.m. There were no shortages of reserve margin uh, outside of those hours. And so what, what that showed is that batteries and demand response are the perfect answers and not a baseload plant that runs around the clock. Um, I, did, uh, I looked at one of the studies that the state had done, the CPUC, on demand response, and they found that um, you could reserve 2,000 megawatts of demand response on call, around the clock, all year long, um, for about a tenth of the cost of the over $1 billion a year that Diablo Canyon cost us. And we were successful in getting a provision in SB 846 last year to require the state to adopt a demand response target, which the Energy Commission did in, at the end of May, set a, a mandate of 7,000 megawatts of demand response by 2030. Um, they said, we already have 3,000, so that would add another 4,000. So that's two Diablo Canyons worth mm -hmm. of reliable capacity. And we have built almost certainly at this point over 6,000 megawatts of batteries, uh, almost none of which existed in 2000. They only had about 200 megawatts available when the outages happened in, in August 2020. And there was no excuse for that. They had a law in place already a decade ago for, for mandating battery storage for 2020. And a study was done by a major consulting firm that showed California should have three to 4,000 megawatts of batteries together with its 33% renewable energy standard in 2020. And the CPUC and the KISO and everybody else stumbled and delayed it. Now, since then, they did rapidly catch up in the subsequent years. And now we have far more than that on the grid and thousands of more are being, megawatts are being added every year. So there shouldn't be any reason to be having concerns about power outages going forward. I think the governor is covered on that issue. Now, there are other causes of outages, like power lines uh, going bad. That's actually 70% or more of power quality issues are due to the wires, which are a mess in California and need to be fixed. And adding more uh, power supplies is not going to fix that. So we do need to address the wire because we've neglected it. Uh, I, well, you know, to me, um, this is hopefully where I, I think where, my screen just went wacky again. Um, um, uh, well, let's go, Steve Caruso, then Dorothy. Go ahead, Steve, and then Dorothy. Yeah, the whole thing with privatization of everything, you look at Ma Bell, one example, kind of disappeared when cell phones showed up. Now we have all these cables buried underground. So the same thing with solar. I mean, there's no reason to be giving all this wealth and money to these 
to privatize the industry. It, it doesn't need to be done, and it should be in the hands of the people, which is essentially nationalizing the system, which scares the bejesus out of you know the right wing. So that's my point. Yeah, a good one, uh, Dorothy. Are you, please, Dorothy Wright. It's amusing that I just got an email from the the woman who sends emails about Saddle Peak around, and they're going to underground our power poles up on Saddle Peak. God yeah. knows what that's going to cost, but um, well, it's actually much. It's actually, it's, much, it's actually much cheaper. Yeah, than it's gonna, well, it's a big fire hazard up on Saddle Peak, so they're yeah. doing it there. But also, we're all going to get our views improved and everything. Yeah, yeah. And good. And, and we're the first one in California to get it. California Edison doing that. But it's, it's also going to stop us to get solar because now we're going to have our power poles buried, so we don't care. It's literally 30% cheaper than they thought it was going to cost. What's that, Brian? What? It's literally 30% cheaper than they claimed it was going to cost. For what? To underground Undergrounding the line. Yeah. So that's... Well, it's very exciting. No more, no more public service power, whatever. And... The other thing is that those wires will last 100 years underground and the ones mm -hmm. above ground. So you're replacing maybe two or three above ground wires for everyone you underground. And overground lines in the high temperatures sag and they have to derate them. Underground lines have no problem. So uh, it's exciting news for Sam Peak. Paul Newman, Paul actually has. Solar panels on his rooftop, Paul. Oh wait, you're muted. You're muted. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, I'm on. I'm on muted now. But thanks to you, Harvey, I, I got solar um, through a recommendation, and I got about 18 panels. And uh, when the CUP, uh, the you know California Utilities Commission, had that hearing on net metering, I called twice. First of all. And just about everybody was against net metering that was on that line. And I waited all three hours. It was probably four hours that it lasted. And nobody was for net metering, first of all. And secondly, I called Stan Kurtz from LA Solar. You know, Solar. I spoke with him and I said, are you aware that about this net metering and everything? He didn't know about it. You know, and you bring up a really important point. A lot of the people in business, for some reason, seem to be ignoring what's going on or something else. Yeah, it's outrageous. It's really outrageous. And Paul, uh, how successful have your solar panels been? My solar bill for the year, and that includes air conditioning, central air conditioning and everything, was $325. Wow. And what do you pay for the panels? Do you have a monthly? Uh, 2019, I bought the panels and put them up. Oh, you bought, you bought them outright? Yeah. And I didn't what did you pay? Do you remember? Pardon? Do you remember what you paid? Yeah. Well, with the tax credits and everything, it was twenty three thousand minus the tax credits, so it was thirteen thousand dollars. Wow. So your payback? Are you getting payback from the utility? No, just credit. Oh, okay. Credit is payback, right? Yes. Yeah, technically, but that's if you use more than you than you generate on your rooftop. And I, I'm in and I'm in a program with Santa Monica where I give the electricity to Santa Monica, so it's sort of away from SCE. That's the other cool thing, you know. I don't have to, it doesn't go to SCE. That's Southern or California abortion, Edison, but... who owned uh, San Onofre. Okay, I can't see again. I'm uh, if, uh, Steve. I don't know what's happening with my 
uh, my gallery. I can't see if anybody else has a hand up. Does anybody else have a hand? Justin has his hand up again. Justin, go ahead, please. And uh, uh, talk if you brought people on. There we go. I don't know how that happened, but I've got my gallery now. Uh, uh, Justin and then uh, Mark and Alice. Go ahead, Everybody, Justin. please check your updates before coming into the Zoom. Thanks. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So uh, there's another net metering decision that's going before the California Public Utilities Commission on November 7th. Uh, that is involving multifamily housing, farms, schools, etc. And uh, so in the NEM3 decision, one of the pr uh, provisions that was originally there that they ended up taking out was that all of the electrons from your solar panel first have to go to the utility. They cannot go to your self-consumption. I know this sounds insane. In fact, it is because if you own something, you have no uh, statutory nor natural law responsibility to just hand it over to somebody else. That's takings is what it's called under the law. Uh, even worse than eminent domain because eminent domain, they actually pay you fair market value to take. In this case, PG&E wasn't, you know, there's no fair market value. PG&E is setting its own value. Uh, and so uh, that provision is still in the multifamily uh, farm, school, et cetera, uh, virtual net metering proposal, which is coming up on November 2nd. And so I encourage everybody to uh, register your absolute disgust with the CPUC on that end of things, uh, because it really is unconstitutional. And then uh, the other thing about you know, PG&E and their tactics is I do wonder if uh, a lot of both fire liabilities, uh, also the uh, San Bruno pipeline liability and various other, uh, you know, as Ron Leonard said, too incompetent to fail uh, bailouts uh, are, you know, piling on with PG&E. And one of those that uh, has been uh, put forth is also increasing people's monthly minimum charges uh, so that just being connected is considered a privilege uh, that you can pay up to $1,500 a year for. And uh, it's insane. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're piling on ways to bail out. And I can't help but wonder if a lot of that has to do with the $22 million that PG&E gave to Gavin Newsom for his reelection over the years. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Thank you for that. Um, uh, Mark Amway? Mark? I have uh, two areas to cover. Uh, first of all, on wind power, uh, we've had battles on offshore wind and won most of those battles over time. But on onshore and up the land and in the mountains and so forth, every single case, all it take to win the battle was to have a specialist go out to the actual site and say, no, 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 don't put it right there, put it over there and and you know, make it this tall, you know, that kind of stuff. That's all it took. So you, you really need a person who understands nature and and so forth to actually go to the site, uh, a specialist. And then we've always been able to solve the problem there, everybody happy. Now on solar, uh, we've done very well with one exception that George Washington University mistakenly wanted a part of their uh, college thing to have a solar power. They would have had to clear 200 acres of old growth forest and we actually stopped that. But uh, but basically, again, usually it's just a matter of the devils and the details. 
Mm. You can't hear me. Sorry about that. Um, um, So, uh, well, that's interesting information, Mark. Where are you? Where where are you, Mark? Did you get muted? Mark's muted. Mark's muted. Uh, let's unmute. And do you work? Uh, there you go, Mark. Yeah. Where are you? And do you work with an organization? Well, I work in. I live, and I'm talking about the large D.C. metro area, including West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, D.C., and into Pennsylvania, and so forth. Um, and I, I with uh, a, a whole bunch of environmental organizations, including the Sierra Club. Uh, so you've been able to successfully um, uh, uh, put in wind power where there's been opposition. Have you been been down to Cape Cod? Uh, have you looked at the the town of Woods Hole and Falmouth? Yeah, what's, what's the latest on that one? Terrible. They've been they they have, they two people in in uh, Woods Hole. Uh, they had big functioning windmills. And they basically shut them down there in the dump. Oh. I mean, it's really been bad. It's amazing how much damage the anti-green people can do. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, I got to say, based and lot again, my uh, screen share has gone weird. My uh, 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 gallery. Uh, but um, does anyone else have a hand that I can't see at this point in time? Okay, it seems to me based on this um, uh, conversation, Linda. Seely, that um, our really most powerful route might be on the economic issues. I mean, it's such an obvious slam dunk here. That we, we, and, and the other thing that we really need, and we need to discuss very quickly, we're, uh, we're at 3.37 here, is uh, the media coverage. We've had no media. Um, uh, uh, we have had some uh, people, uh, some of the media questioning Diablo's extension, but not to this, not to the extent that we need. So, can you comment first of all on the mother's campaign on economic issues, and then on questions of getting media? The mothers have never been the in the mothers' charter. It uh, we are the group that monitors safety issues at the at Diablo Canyon. So we've never paid uh, attention to the economic issues there. Um, there are other groups that do. Um, the group that Robert works with, Women's Energy Matters, um, the Alliance for Nuclear Responsibility, they do that is exactly what they do. And turn, um, which is the consumer consumer, yeah. They work with the um, those economic issues. We're not educated enough about that to and it's, you know, I, I can't put any, I can't add economics to my plate. Okay, um, well, I'll do that. I'll write a piece with Robert and uh, Ron, and we'll, we'll cover the California issue. We have, you have great, you have a, a Mark Jacobson at Stanford who, right. who does great work and Amory is on the case, but um, it's a slam dunk in California. What we really need is, is the solar industry to get off their behind and, and jump in on this. So Taka, do you, or Paul, do you know anybody who can really mobilize the solar industry to, to fight for this, for God's sakes? Um, you know, I can call around. Uh, I have worked twice, once in the 70s and once in the uh, 
early 200s in solar sales, uh, all in Santa Clara County and uh, South Bay of San Francisco. And the political consciousness of the people in the companies I was with was there, but they were small, you know, they were like five, six full-time employees. And uh, they weren't involved politically at that time. So I don't know. I don't All know. Right. What we'll I don't know oh, what the situation is. I do know, I do know with the large scale, I do know IBEW would love to just, you know, get get involved and have this transition. In fact, we were working on that with Romero Institute, working on a, a to present to the nuclear workers a, a total transition plan for secure uh, um, um, careers in solar, right? not just a stopgap because they saw that nuclear was dead. I mean, it was only a matter of time that they were going to lose those jobs. And then right about that time is when Newsom got involved and cut his deal and kind of upset the whole cart. <laughs> okay. So well, we Tataka, got, we got... Tataka, I'll work with you to get the National Solar Energy Industries Association, Abigail Hopper involved because this has just become last week a national issue again. And California is in their sights. So let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Let's pick it up. Right. All right. You guys get have each other's connections. That'd be great. Huh? Now, one, one other thing that's going on um, with energy, uh, uh, and we'll segue quickly here to Maine, um, is the Pine Tree Alliance. They have a referendum. Wendy, do you want to talk about that, please? Thank you. I was um raised my hand for something else because I think Maya might have hopped off. She's one of the founders um, through her green amendments um i can speak a little bit to uh what's going on in florida um because i just not yes. as all right so for for those of you we'll do this again next week um uh there is a referendum on the ballot in maine to take over the utilities and uh that would be a great thing uh we don't know how there are tons of money i've seen articles tons of money is being poured in against them Maya, Maya did you want to comment on that um i do because it's interesting, um, uh, the first Tuesday in November, Mainers will be voting on uh, a couple of, there'll be several um, ballot issues. Um, and one of them is to, uh, I believe it's uh, ballot number three that they want people to vote yes on, which would allow uh, Mainers to have um, uh, have control over their uh, electricity system. But the, um, the the industry has poured a lot of money into tricking voters. They put ballot measure number one on the ballot, and that would um, that basically says if there's an expenditure over a certain amount of money, then in order to um, that Mainers would have to decide and they would have to go back to the ballot. And it's a way of, uh, it's a kind of a sneaky way of defeating the, um, the pine tree power initiative. So people really need to be educated exactly about what's on the ballot and not fall for something that looks good on the surface, but was really designed to defeat pine tree power. Um, and I should probably look it up and make sure that I'm right about which one is ballot num 
ballot measure three and which is ballot num measure number one, okay, it's yes on three. So it's yes on three, but it's very important to vote no on question number one, because question number one would actually work as a way of defeating three, even if three passes. So um, these guys are so sneaky. Mm -hmm. um, uh, um, and uh, can I ask a question? Please. Maya, do you know the money? Who, who are the people behind, behind trying to confuse us here? Oh, I do. <laughs> and, and it's really interesting because um, it's their private equity. There's money from, um, I believe, the United Arab Emirates that's uh, profiting off of Maine's high, high electricity costs. There's, uh, I believe, uh, anyway, there's a lot of foreign um, money involved. Uh, it isn't local Mainers who are profiting off of the exorbitant um, energy electricity prices. And I think that Mainers pay through the teeth, as it were. They pay really high rates. And um, and the money, the people who are making all of that money, the foreign interests that are making all that money, the private equity companies that are making all that money are willing to invest big bucks to keep their gravy train Going. Right. <laughs> it's right. not only it's not only a gravy train it's a horrible train it's a train you don't want to get on because there's a rating agency that rates all the utilities across the united states the last on the list is the two utilities in maine both owned by foreign corporations one ibidrola that we were just talking about and they have the worst service and the highest prices and the, you know the thing that you don't want giving a critical infrastructure to a foreign entity that could affect your life yeah right Ka kathy no, wolf is is in, on in, go ahead about, to talk. about uh a decade and a half ago uh, the, the place i lived in the santa cruz mountains our our neighbor in uh, felton california succumbed to a european interest in their in our water and you know warned not to it passed uh barely and water prices went through the roof and it took them 10 years at a huge cost to buy back our own local mm -hmm. water. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's happening all over. That was a German company. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, go ahead. Uh, uh, Wendy, go ahead. Go Continue if you want. Thank you, sir. I didn't realize I was unmuted. If you heard me typing, I was going to say that an Israeli company just took over Fort Lauderdale's water this year under a really unconscionable contract, the way that it was presented was extremely deceitful to the people um, in a, like, a really specific way. And we had something similar um, with what happened with FPNL. Um, I will say with Maine, which whatever the, the good, the pine tree one is, if Maya's working on it, then it's based on a green amendment, which would amend the constitution so that it would put um, the people's right above the legislature in a way that protects based on kind of rights of nature, rights of access, um, I guess, utility, um, electricity being a fundamental right would be the way that I would um, explain that um, or expect it to be explained. And in, in Florida, a couple of years ago, I worked on a different petition campaign and we were trying to get a regulatory framework provided to the people. So we would have a way to, um, distribute excess energy like you're talking about with net metering um but beyond that though so we, we would be 
able to have co-ops. Um, I would be able to supply my neighbor. Uh, landlords could let you know their tenants be able to um like share with each other. And FPL came in with um a competing ballot initiative. Exactly, it sounds like is going on in Maine, and it was worded so weirdly and wrongly that people thought that they would be voting for one way when it was actually for another and we had a grassroots campaign and people like me that were going around with the good petition and like the one that I was working on paid about half as much as the deceitful petition so you had these petitioners coming in from all across the country getting paid a ton of money and they were really aggressive, like following me around if I was places, filming me, like it got really, really dirty. I had to call security a couple of times on places that it was, I didn't have permission to be. And I had to call security because the other petitioners got so aggressive, but we ended up defeating the deceitful measure through grassroots communication. But our measure was also defeated because the courts were basically bought off and they, like it, it just got to be a bunch of mumbo jumbo with it. Um, really quickly, I did put up my hand. There's um just for the solar discussion. There's also a group. Um, it's like veterans. Uh, for it, I, I just it, it just slipped my mind, but I'll put it in the chat. It's like Advanced Energy by Veterans, and it's veterans that started this company where they train other veterans to learn how to do solar, and because they don't want their children ha have to grow up and fight wars for energy, so they're former vets that are are trying to do renewables. Um, and I will just say about what's going on right now in Gainesville. Um, there's a, a thank you, Stephen. Um, that's exactly it, the Advanced Energy Project. Um, so in Gainesville, DeSantis, they, they just passed a bill that preempted Gainesville's ability to have a public to oversee its own public utility, which historically it's always done. So this is a Republican bill that just passed. And so DeSantis just appointed a new board to regulate it and it's all republican appointees mostly people that don't even live in gainesville and people are really worried that they're going to basically privatize it and sell it to fpnl um just like what they tried to do in jacksonville where they have a public utility and a bunch of people were arrested for fraud and it, like i'll report on it more some other time but it got really crazy where there were fake candidates put up fake newspapers all in order to privatize the utility in Jacksonville. And luckily that was defeated and they're trying to do it again in Gainesville, which is where UF is. Um, it's a very progressive area and it's just very disturbing. FPL has way, 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 way too much power, no pun intended. They own the nuclear, they own the solar, they own the, the net metering. To me, net metering is a consolation. Like this, it's not free market. Like you shouldn't have to be forced to sell only to this power company. It's your power, you made it. So it's um, you know, it's a, a deep issue, and I'll I'll stop here. But that's what's going on, and definitely always always read your petitions that you're signing. Moral of the story, and read the bill and inform yourselves. Thanks, guys. Unbelievable, uh, it's just sickening. Justin, go ahead. We're all, we're almost at the end here, so anybody wants to jump in, this has been a very productive uh, uh, discussion, and we really need to focus, I think, on the. Uh, uh, you know, if the people in New York really knew how bad the the seven point six billion dollar deal with with the Cuomo stuck them with, um, uh, you know, to keep those nuclear plants alive, they would have never gone after after his sex life. <laughs> I mean, who cares? You know, he, he just ripped them off, as Ron Leonard knows, for 
seven and a half billion dollars for nothing. Uh, Justin and then Richard Lewis. Justin, please, and then Richard Lewis. Yeah, specifically on Maine, uh, the deal that is being proposed is to have the state do eminent domain purchase of the assets of the power companies and then run them as a public power agency, uh, kind of like municipal utilities do. Uh, the interesting thing here is a lot of the uh, misinformation, disinformation, is the idea that the state is going to have to carry the load, therefore charge uh, extra taxes, which is a lie, obviously, because uh, first off, the assets pay for themselves. Public, uh, you know, power, the private companies wouldn't be in it if there wasn't any profit, right? And so uh, that's obviously a lie, but. The other thing about uh, public financing is that it is often better terms than private financing. And most power companies have not been paying off their assets. They have been uh, refunding their assets by continuing to sell bonds on the open market, which they have to pay a really high interest rate for. So they uh, are actually in a worse shape than a public utility would be. Uh, and yet, you know, again, the lie is that somehow the taxpayers are going to be on the hook for all of this, which is absolutely not true. In fact, it is those foreign companies propaganda, which gets into ballot question two. Specifically, they are uh, trying to create a ban on those foreign companies and foreign governments and other foreign influence in elections, uh, because the truth is that these companies do spend money trying to craft public policy in their favor. And uh, so ballot question two would block that by saying any group that is 5% group or 1% individual ownership by foreign entities would be banned from participating in elections. And by the way, that covers 98% of all S&P companies. So S&P 500 companies. Uh, so that means pretty much all large corporations would be out of the discussion ring and it would go back to citizens, which is where it should be because you're living there. You should be the one making the decision. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Richard Lewis, still have 46 people with us. Um, are, are Carl Grossman had put in the chat. Let me, Carl, will you just tell us what you put in the chat real quick? Then we'll go to Richard. Uh, go ahead, Carl. Uh, I think. I can't unmute you. I think we've had this problem before. I'm on you. There you go. Up. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Oh, no. Carl. Right, unmute. Oh, there okay. you go. Hey, yeah, you're good. Yeah, this this was a bailout for nuclear plants, totally uneconomic, in upstate New York for $7.6 billion, organized by Andrew Cuomo, the governor at the time, under the guise that they produce carbon-free energy. Uh, and I, I just put in the chat an article I, I wrote about this. So you got to watch out now that they are, you know, the chief piece of baloney of the nuclear promoters is that uh, we need nuclear to uh, deal with climate change. Uh, a big excuse for these bailouts locally, nationally, is uh, that they, uh, they're carbon free. Yeah, it's garbage. Nonsense. And the, the the fun fact is on one of those nuclear power plants in upstate New York that we're substituting our tax dollars for, the first thing they decided to do 
was set up a mini hydrogen hub to produce hydrogen from nuclear power. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> but this is going to be used internally in the plant. And the other little fun fact is the one nuclear power plant that was really turned on, the Shoreham Nuclear Power Plant on Long Island, well, we still owe $450 million after decades of paying off the $5 billion debt that that thing occurred on Long Island. We still owe $450 million on that stinking mess. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Richard Lewis? I'd just like to introduce myself as a old fart down here in Santa Cruz. Good to see my friends from the past. I want to be a bridge. I'm not in the expertise that you have. I'd like to build a bridge to where the 1,200 community colleges are national and what we can do in California. I know, Tadaka, you visited SSCCC. By the way, they have a Halloween party at King City that you could meet regionally the leadership. Uh, okay. Today, uh, I'd like to speak of strategy, straightforward, maybe two minutes. Two There's minutes never, is good. Go ahead. Go ahead. Never going to be another county with a mayor like Fred Keeley in Santa Cruz. That's where Romero exists in a Holy Cross church. I've been there. But what I'm proposing is you start with one block in one neighborhood and you start where there's a senior center. For sure, we're going to try Watsonville for many, many reasons. But think when it comes to, to uh, Santa Cruz, we got a UC. If we're going to look at 224, the key is to get that 18-year-old coming up age-wise to a community college to vote. So I'm looking forward staying with this focus on climate. And it's way beyond me, but I want to build a bridge from progressives nationally to what could be done with what is student governments as hubs, the community colleges. In Los Angeles, that is a district that has 14 community colleges. You can all you got to do is check out SF, CCC, and what you can do to bring that issue of the reactor and what we could do to involve students. How do you do? Thank you for that. That's a great youth idea. Power, youth power, but the truth is, it's not going to come, it's going to come from mentors or the senior power. I have a domain name for a homies union. Think of what it was AARP had. I so far, excuse me, but I'm 86 years young. Think okay. of what 28 million in AARP, now 40 million. Think of dues for a union for $5, a cup of coffee, one cup at a time. And I just thank you for these two hours. I'll be back. Thank you so much. Good to have you. Robert Freeling, I think we're going to uh, make you the last. Anybody else wants to jump in? Raise your hand now. Uh, go ahead. Oh, Myla does. Okay, Robert, go ahead. And then Myla. Robert Freeling. We still have 44 people with us. Um, um, Robert Freeling, uh, are you lost here? Uh, Myla, go ahead. We'll go back to Robert. Go ahead, Myla. Okay, just really quickly. I need to have a word with Tatanka and with you, Harvey, 
after this call. Um, just a real brief discussion. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Uh, thank you, my Robert. Robert Freeling. Uh, I guess he's not there. Is. There it might we go. Be, no. It might be a phantom hand that he didn't lower. Oh, well, then he's Possibly. got a phantom name there as well. Um, uh, okay. And Linda, see you. Are you still with us? No, she had to leave. Okay. All right. So listen, uh, it's four o'clock. Uh, who knew we'd actually end on time? Well, we'll resume this next week. Did I hear Robert trying to yell out here? No. Okay. No, right. This has been a great, great, great call. As always, um, uh, next week we'll we'll deal with um, um, the issues we didn't cover. Kathy Wolfie will give us. Oh, by the way, the law says that the uh, my or the uh, elections occur on the second Monday, second Tuesday. Oh, oh every, okay, okay. Sorry, it's about second that. Tuesday of every no, November. It's actually in the Constitution. Oh wow! <laughs> when when elections happen. Well, Kathy uh, Wolf is with us. What's that? Uh, Kathy Wolf is with us. Hey, Did Kathy, you how are you? Who Good spotlighted Kathy? And, and uh, okay, we'll let Wendy take us out. Wendy, do you want to uh, say goodbye to everybody? And we'll see you all next week. Rob, uh, thank you, um, Steve Caruso, Mike Hirsch, Wendy, our team, and uh, Myra. And uh, this has been an amazing session, and we will we will definitely work on it. Go ahead, Wendy. Thank you. Um. Yeah, I just want to say I love and appreciate you guys all so much, and especially you, Sluggo, for bringing us all together for so long. And I just want everyone to stay in gratitude for the good things and picture picture and visualize strongly the possibilities that this world can come to and contact your representatives and tell them peace now. Thank you so much, guys. Happy you, guys. Halloween, and let's put I'll the ghost yeah. of dirty power back in the grave. Well, I got my Halloween teeth, so, you all know. Right, yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Amaya, Thank you. I'll call you in Tatanka. Oh, good. Later. Thank, you. Thank you. Take care, everybody. No, Love no. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.